I consider it a real privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Irvin Stutzman. Irvin serves as Executive Director of Mennonite Church USA. Before serving in this post, he was Dean at Eastern Mennonite Seminary. And before that, he was a bishop and moderator of Lancaster Conference. And during that period, I had the opportunity to work very closely with Irvin for six years. Uh, our offices were across, uh, were divided by one wall, and uh, we worked very, very closely in things related to Lancaster Conference. I learned to know Irvin as a very special friend during that time. And I recall several things that stand out to me. One, I found him to be a very disciplined person, so much so that I was almost intimidated by his disciplined life that enabled him to accomplish so much. Now, in all the roles he's had since I've known him, for me, they would be all-consuming roles and more, I'm sure. And so, spare time? What are you talking about? Well, along with whatever official role Irvin has, he has a wood shop at home, and he turns out very, very fine wood products. And he has a project going all the time. I mean, it's not he just does that on vacation. That's part of his regular routine every week. Not, not in the wood quite. Shop every not week. quite in the wood shop every week. But that's not enough. He also always has a book manuscript at some stage of development, and usually the books aren't anything related to the work he's doing. And so he's done a lot of research into his family history and has written a number of books and just told us last evening he just has the draft of another one uh, ready to, for the next stage of processing. He does that because he's very disciplined. Along with the discipline are regular times of spiritual retreat, spending time with the Lord. I also learned to know Irv as a person who cares very much about people and about relationships. Many of you grew up similar to the way I grew up in a community that was pretty afraid of conflict. And so we became what uh, people call conflict avoiders. And so if we don't have to talk with the person that we know we would have conflict with, we avoid them. We put off those phone calls that go into those situations. I discovered that Irvin somehow reaches out to the person who disagrees with him most sharply. And not just in a, well, I have to do this way, but in a way that as I would overhear some of those conversations, I would come home and tell Lois, Irvin really cares about that relationship. And that, to me, uh, very well qualified him for the role that he currently fills. Now, Irvin was here before. Uh, he told us last evening that Barry Friesen reminded him that his last time preaching here was in 1994, and if you want to know what he preached about, Barry has notes that he took in that message. So Irvin is a dear brother and friend, and it's a privilege to have you here. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Irvin Stutzman to our Mennonite Church during these days. We thank you for the heart that you've given him to 
follow you faithfully as a disciple of Jesus. And as he shares this morning, we pray that you would give us attentive ears and may your spirit direct his words. And Lord, beyond this morning, we again commit him to you for the large responsibility that he carries in our denomination. Pray for much wisdom, much grace, sensitivity, and a continuing concern for relationships with all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. And, and shalom. May the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I bring greetings this morning from Mennonite Church USA. As you know, Mennonite Church USA stretches in many parts of our nation, from, from the frozen tundra of Alaska to the, to the sunny beaches of Florida, from the rocky shores of, of New England all the way down to the sun-baked hills of California, and lots of places in between like, like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Now, I think this is the first time I have given a greeting to a congregation when I wasn't sure if they were a part of Mennonite Church USA or not. <laughs> so you'll have to answer that question, but it's just good to be here. And your introduction, Ernie, reminds me that some of the most uh, formative and blessed years of my life have been in Lancaster Mennonite Conference. I shall always have a deep regard and a tenderness in my heart for the people of Lancaster Mennonite Conference and so many of you whom I have known in your different roles here. So whether or not you declare that you will be a part of Mennonite Church USA or remain a full part of Lancaster Conference really is immaterial to me in the terms of how I shall regard you. You are loved and I appreciate you. And thanks for inviting me to join with your celebration of Advent. It's a special season for me. I am a part of the Parkview Mennonite Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and Advent is always a big deal for us as well. And this Sunday of Advent, it's very common to emphasize joy. You've already noticed it, right? You've noticed that Isaiah tells us that it's with joy that we draw water from the wells of salvation. I love it. I love that picture. It's like we need this salvation so desperately. So when we go there with our bucket, we draw with joy that we have that kind of access. And I'm reminded as I read Zephaniah and heard the words again this morning that there is so much in our lives of things that we say it's not like it could be. What is now is not what always will be. Something better will be there in the future. But we're called to rejoice in this. So we hear in Zephaniah those words of, in that day, this is how it will be. But there's also, but even today, you can rejoice. And that's very much the spirit of the Philippian letter. Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is sometimes called the epistle of joy. It's because he refers to joy so many times. I mean, right in the greeting, he starts out by saying that, I always pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he goes on several places on, and he says, I want you to rejoice. And in one place, he says, make my joy complete by being of one mind. And there you get a hint 
at something about Advent in that letter. Because Advent is always about something coming that we're anticipating. It's always about some waiting. There's always some trouble that has us looking for the future. And in Philippians, this is very true as well. Because there's, Paul brings some anxiety. Yes, he mentions joy, but he brings some anxiety to the writing of this letter because he's worried about a couple of things. And if you just read through the whole letter, you'll get that sense of what he's worried about. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to a couple places. Like in the first chapter, verse 28, you'll see that he speaks here of a situation where... There's the congregation has some challenges. He says, for example, that uh, if you go back to verse 27, he's the, sort of the background for this. I'm hoping that when I come to see you, aha, there's Advent right there too, because Paul's saying, I'm going to show up one of these days. And of course, it's right there. It's implied. I want you to be doing the right things when I get there. So it's one of these things. You're waiting for me to show up. He mentions that a couple times. But in verse 28, he talks about when I show up, I'll be there without you being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Ah, there's some frightening things going on here. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. Well, you see more hints of trouble if you go on to the second chapter, verse 28 and following. He's talking here about his own personal situation. We know he's in jail. You know, he's in prison. We know people are using that to, to their advantage. And we know that one of his co-workers, who they know well, has been ill to the point of death. Notice what he says there, uh, verse 25 and a following, where he talks about, I want to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you care for. And apparently they sent a gift to him via this Epaphroditus, and he says, he longs for all of you as distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and so forth. But if you keep reading there, you note, Paul says in verse 28, therefore I am all the more eager to send him, and that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Why is he anxious? Well, he's anxious because this congregation could easily divide. That's true in almost every church Paul's talking to, by the way. But he talks to them in chapter 4, especially about these people who are not getting along with each other. He names two women, both of whom have been co-workers with him. They're influential thought leaders. They're people who need to get along. Then he says, you know, make my joy complete by getting along with each other. I know when I get there, I may see there's some folks not there who used to be there. If Paphroditus comes and comes back with good news that you're hanging in there together, I'm going to be less anxious than I am now. That's what I'm hearing in this letter. And it's partly because there's divisive people who are trying to divide this congregation in different kinds of ways. You get a hint at it in chapter 3 when he talks about verse 2, watch out for those dogs. The, wow, that's some kind of language to be using about these people. But uh, watch out for them, those mutilators of the flesh. Of course, this is all code language for folks who are promoting Jewish circumcision. But here he's speaking about the joy that comes even in the middle of this tension. So it's a very clear message for Advent today. We live in times where we say it could be so much better than it is right now. 
and we pray for that time, we want that time, but you don't stop rejoicing just because you're not there yet. In fact, you rejoice in the middle of those circumstances because they enable us in a way to understand. Well, let's move then to the specific scripture that was read for today, Philippians 4, 4 to 7, because here these verses, I think, give us some, well, they're Paul's advice to the congregation, and I think there's so much in it that just, well, helps me today during the season of Advent. He starts out here by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Well, he does say it several places in the letter. He keeps emphasizing this idea of being joyous. And it's very clear, it's not just about feelings, because after all, you don't just say, feel better, <laughs> feel good, feel hopeful. Feel. I mean, people feel what they feel, right? <laughs> but this is an attitude he's giving here. Rejoice, be glad in this circumstance. Even because, he says, and he goes on to say why this is, and I'll move to that in a moment. Let your gentleness be known to all. Actually, that word, the Greek word, of which is translated gentleness there, is really difficult to translate, and that's why you'll find different words that translate it. But let me give you a feel for it. Some use the word moderation. Let your moderation be known to all. But even that doesn't quite get at it. Some use the word forbearance. Let your forbearance be known to all. But even that doesn't get it at all. He's speaking here, let your regard for people, maybe your courtesy is a word that's sometimes used, or reasonableness, or even, I've seen a translator that spoke of sweet reasonableness. Well, it sounds anything like, other than watch out for those dogs. Somehow I'm trying to figure this out in my mind. But let your reasonable, your courtesy, your respect for people be known to all in the midst of this rejoicing. So it has this sense that's just opposite of what we're experiencing in our political dimensions these days. When what you want people to know is how you're going to respond to their threats in ways that they quit doing what they're doing now. Intimidating words fiery rhetorical words, threats. We're in a time of advent. We want something different than the terrorist attacks we have in the world right now. We want something different than the anxiety of not knowing what is going to happen in Syria and other places. The world is teetering on the brink of some very difficult, could be war. Big, I mean, inflamed war that includes many nations. We pray for God's salvation in these days. We pray for God's advent, God's peace to be in the midst of these. But Paul is saying in the middle of this, let your gentleness be known to all. It's actually one of the best ways to ratchet down conversations that lead to war. The kind of threats that inflame and lead to violent kinds of conflict. I believe that's what Paul is saying here. It's just as applicable to the church. In the midst of the polarizing circumstances when people vie for hegemony, for to dominate the field, so to speak, in times when people speak strongly, I'm going to heed this by saying, let my words be with forbearance and moderation and gentleness respect for others. 
to ratchet down the rhetoric that divides and polarizes and leaves us in the place where we can't experience the unity of the faith as Paul talks about it when he says, make my joy complete by being of one mind. And then he goes on to speak of Christ and Christ's sacrifice, the way that Jesus came to earth and gave himself up to make this possible for us. But he continues here. If you read that scripture, he's speaking here, don't be anxious about anything, or as Pastor Samantha read it, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, we live in one of the most anxious times we've been in for a long time. Now, we all have our reason for anxieties. I mean, just everyday life is filled with the possibilities for anxiety. Whether it be in family, the baby that won't nurse well is not gaining well, a marriage that's breaking up, a business that's not thriving, a church situation that's falling apart. All of us know what's like to be anxious. So what does Paul mean, don't be anxious about anything? In fact, he's saying he's anxious. <laughs> he's anxious, and if you folks send along another offering by the hand of Epaphroditus, and I hear you're getting along, I'll be less anxious than I am now. But Paul is speaking here about ways to deal with the anxiety that we have so naturally. One is, deal with it by prayer and petition. Now, some of us, I think, have a tendency to say, or when we are anxious, we worry about it in our minds, we carry it in our bodies, we have a pit in our stomach, our back hurts, our neck hurts, or whatever part of your body you carry your worries in. We know this is so true, but how do we pray about it? So I think Paul is giving us permission. Anytime there's anything that's anxious, we have permission to simply pray about it and make petitions about it. Advent is a time of petition. Please, come, come now, come faster. But there's a phrase in here which I think capitalizes on what the letter to Philippians is all about when he uses these two words, with thanksgiving. Because, again, Paul starts out the letter that way when he's giving this greeting. He's giving thanks with joy for who they are. Yes, there could be things I'm improved there. Yes, he has some anxiety. But yes, he just has joy when he thinks about what it's like. Remember the beginning of the church at Philippi. You'll read it in Acts Chapter 16, where Paul goes down to the river, meets these women, Lydia, seller of purple. You keep reading, you discover, oh, there's this woman who's filled by a spirit who keeps coming after him and yelling after him. You have him in jail. You have him with his feet in stocks. A lot of things happening. But in the end, there's a church. God does something amazing that's there. And he gives thanks for that. So in the middle of his anxiety, he's giving thanks. That is great advice. Because, now I don't, I'm not a neurologist, but I think a different part of the brain works on anxiety than works on, on gratitude. So it comes from two different parts. So anxiety sort of comes from this part, well, I think it's in the back somewhere, <laughs> where you're sort of like, hey, 
got to watch out. Someone's going to take over. But gratitude comes from a place where we're thinking, you know, there's some good things right in the middle of this bad situation that I have. And when we pray, give our petitions with thanksgiving, it sort of modulates, moderates, mitigates, diminishes, I don't know. It does something to all some of those anxieties and helps us see, you know, God is already present. And that is what Paul says. The Lord is near. And that's another reason this is an advent, because it reminds me that whenever there's advent in the Bible, almost everywhere where you have something like you're waiting for something to come, there's also a sense of it being here already. Did you ever think of the the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, as being an Advent prayer? You have it printed in your bulletin. What do you say? After the beginning, you say, may your kingdom come. That's an Advent prayer. It's really asking for God's presence, dimension, God's kingdom to be with us in a way that's not here yet. And that's a hint at what Jesus meant when he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or, it's translated, the kingdom of heaven is near. And I think most theologians will think about it, at least in this eschatological dimension of end times or whatever, will say, you know, there's always the already and the not yet. There's this sense that the kingdom is already here. Jesus said, it's in you. It's within you. It's among you. But he's always telling us to pray for it to come. So there's this sense that God is always with us. In fact, it's in Zephaniah. Did you notice it? The Lord your God is with you. But he also says, in that day, this is going to happen. So you see that dimension. And that's in our prayers and that's in our reality every day. There's a sense in which God's coming, God's presence can come in ways we haven't yet seen it, but let's always pray with the sense that God is already here. God is already at work in so many ways. Let's give thanks for how that's happening. When I think of some of the difficult things we're facing right now, in the church, for example, I'm thinking of, this is the time of... Well, you might call it disconsolation. Desolation is a term that people sometimes use. You know, consolation, we love those times because we just have the sense of God's consoling spirit with us. God is with us. God is carrying us along. Things are great. But there are some times of desolation. I guess that's what the darkness, the gloom is about often in Advent. It's like, where is God? The absence of God. We can go along and say, you know, all the signs are supposed to be there, but they're not very visible at the moment. And in our personal spirits, we can just sense it like this is a time of desolation. And many would see it that way in our church at the moment. It's a time of desolation, a time of disappointment. But I want to speak also of God's consolation that's with us when we see the signs of God at work among us. Because at least in my travels around Mennonite Church USA, There are so many signs of God at work in powerful ways. God doing so many good things. You know it in your own congregation. And so during the season of Advent, when he says, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, I just remind you, yes, think of those ways and rejoice in the ways you see God at work, even though and even at the time you're praying for a fuller dimension of seeing God at work in your lives. And, of course, Paul says here, in this little section, 
And the peace of God, it's like a promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's an interesting thing. He actually uses a couple of military metaphors in here. And why not? They live near a garrison. I mean, these, these folks in Philippi are near the fort there. And he says, this, God will guard your hearts and minds. It's almost like saying God will release a, a garrison of soldiers to make sure that nothing bad happens to you in terms of the peace that we have. It's a guarding, and he calls himself a fellow soldier, or, or calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier. But here we have this promise from God that there's something beyond what we can explain just in our enlightenment mentality, some presence of God or spirit of God. It's almost a mystical kind of thing that says God is with us in a way that sometimes we can't even explain. We can't explain it in words, but we can sense it in our spirit, and we can rejoice. It leads us to rejoice. So this morning, I invite you to receive the message of Paul to the Philippians as a word for our own day, in our own time of gloom, in our own time of waiting, our time of anticipation of things, our prayers for things to be better for the world, for God to save us in a new and different dimension. Remember to rejoice. And may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.